to the Kami Culinary Podcast. I can't believe this is episode six. Thanks so much to everyone who's been listening so far. Um, when you reach out on social media, hearing a response, uh, just knowing someone out there is getting a little bit of value and finding something about the podcast interesting. Honestly, it means so much to me. Um, I appreciate it so much. So please uh, keep sharing the love. Share this with your friends. Anyone who's in the hospitality industry hopefully will get a lot of value out of at least one of these episodes. So thank you so much for your support so far. Uh, I think this episode with Lori McDonald from Provisions Food Company is really interesting. Um, anyone out there who's a food entrepreneur, Lori's gone through some serious ups and downs in her business. She's held strong throughout everything over the last eight years, and she's doing that again now through the corona pandemic. So thank you so much to Lori for uh, your honesty and your vulnerability. I think everyone can relate and find something in this episode that will motivate them to keep going. Uh, so on to the podcast. Um, so today we're catching up with Lori McDonald. Lori is the co-author of the Harrow Fair Cookbook, founder of Provisions Food Company, and more recently, Fox and Forage. Um, so thank you so much. Welcome. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kate. It's my pleasure. So we're in week three, uh, week two into week three of the coronavirus shutdown here in southern Ontario. Obviously, food businesses are among some of the hardest hit. What are you uh, like? What is your life like right now? Are you going to work like Monday to Friday and kind of like just putting out fires and kind of almost every day, like filling online orders, filling wholesale orders, like so you're still shipping and everything. That's amazing to me. That's awesome. I know it's amazing to me too because when you first asked me to come on the podcast, I was like, oh, honey, I don't think I'm even gonna be around tomorrow. Like <laughs> it, it felt really, really scary because it was at the beginning of all this, basically. Yes. Like. It's like, I'm not going to have a business to talk about soon. So I can't, and I didn't want to come on and be like, the end is nigh. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why I kind of, you know, kind of stalled a little bit. But, um, but then I realized like, Hey, I think something's still going on here. Yeah. Um, I might get a chance to keep going with this. So. So uh, we know each other from working in food and beverage together way back in the day in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Uh, I was 16. You're the manager. Um, we worked with Tony DeLuca. I had been doing my apprenticeship uh, at the Oban. And then on my days off from working there, I would work at the cheese shop, uh, which is where Oast is now. So that's how we met. Correct. Uh, and then we both left that summer, 2007, at the mm. end of the summer-ish. And that was kind of the last uh, I had heard from you. And then how did okay. provisions come to be? Okay. So um, I got pregnant with my son and went off on maternity leave from the cheese store 2007. And then in the meantime, Tony sold the cheese store. And I didn't, I didn't know where... I was going to work and I wanted to stay home with him anyway. So that kind of worked out. And then in 2010, I wrote a cookbook, the Harold Fair cookbook with my sister and my cousin was really integral in that as well. And it was a great experience. It was never, there were no illusions that it was going to be a real moneymaker, but it was a great project. 
And I thought of it as maybe a, a bit of a calling card for future, I don't know what. At that point, I really couldn't figure out who I would want to work for, where I would want to work. And through the cookbook launching, it, I, I just, it was like I had one of those epiphanies where it's like the wineries that I was, were, was familiar with needed locally made wine friendly foodstuffs to go with their wine. Um, I'd been working at the Good Earth helping with catering before she started the winery part. And so I was familiar with a lot of the kind of the, I don't know, higher end wineries that didn't have their own food programs. We do catering and stuff. So I kind of, I saw a niche of packaged food to upsell in the winery retail setting. And that's kind of how provisions started. So I took the cheddar loonies, as they're called in the cookbook, and made them into our first product, which was the cheddar and thyme shortbread, which is still like really popular. And launched, so the cookbook was 2010, and then started provisions in 2012. Again, same cousin, Beth, helped me brand and brand the company figure out everything like we worked like crazy together and so there was a lot of low-hanging fruit in Niagara because uh, I knew a lot of people so it's like oh hey like me again and I'm I'm doing these like packaged shortbreads they're really delicious with wine and you know we had like a couple of condiments and I I mean we tried a variety of things I did a salsa for a while, like a San Marzano salsa. I read something about a caramel somewhere. Oh, yeah. We did caramels for a while. Um, I'm not like a confectionist. I don't, that's not the right word. But but yeah, that's a whole other world. That is crazy specific science. Um, I mean, I muddled through that, but I probably ruined more batches than I did. <laughs> I made properly and then wrapping them into little pieces of paper. It was insane, but they were so delicious. Um, and then in like kind of the next year, Shannon Passero started her women in business grant. So I got to split $25,000 with another recipient. I was the first winner of that grant. It was an amazing opportunity. Um, it's one of those, uh, like, be careful what you wish for a little bit, only because it started me down a path that I spent triple that myself somehow. Like, it, right. it, it was the spark to accelerate growth, but then I ended up having, like, it just, it was like this train that couldn't stop. I just kept having to put more money into it. So, and so in, maybe, terms of, in terms of growth, just to sidestep a little bit, Mm-hmm. When before you got the grant with Shannon Passero to the other side of that next plateau, what what's like compare those two? Where were you at before, and what kind of growth did you undergo during that? Time? Well, so I, I was working out of a church kitchen for like 
up until we moved into the facility like two years ago, for six years, we were working out of a church hall. And it was a great way to keep my overhead down. Before Shannon's grant, I didn't have any official employees. Um, so that was a turning point. I was a, actually able to hire a, a couple of people. And I invested in a couple pieces of key, key pieces of equipment. So I got a RoboCoop food processor. And I got a machine that kind of like a puree machine to separate. So we would cook our pears and then separate the stems and the skins and all that. Um, before we were just pushing it through a china cap. like. And just to give context, you harvest all of your fruit in season from local growers. So that process of getting the, the fruit base is actually one of the biggest undertakings of your year, right? Because you're harvesting it for use throughout the entire year until the next harvest. So it's Correct. actually huge. It's not a one batch at a time process. It's, it's a no, it's full job. on. It's, yeah. it's full on like September. We don't, not all of the fr- sour cherries and blueberries we can buy frozen. Um, but the, the, uh, pears, the crab apples and the damson plums, we buy fresh in season and they're already like basically at the same moment. Luckily they store, you know, we can stagger it out a little bit, but yeah, we're, we're trying to process and forecast for the entire year. So we don't run out. Um, so, so yeah, so buying those going back to the grant. So I hired a couple of people and I bought a few key pieces of equipment to be able to scale. And, um, and I put a little bit more money into branding. I think that's also when I built my first website, um, which it's so much easier now. Like it was back then it was hard. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we just kind of kept chipping away. I never wanted this just to be a hobby. But I also wasn't dependent on it for an income, luckily. So, so you so had it, room to play and experiment. I had room to play and I didn't have to, like, I didn't have that urgency to see significant results. Like it just grew organically. It grew as fast as I could put into it. I've always really valued uh, a balanced life. My kids, like I, you know, I've got to take care of my kids and I wanted, I could, I could be, have, I could have the tendency to be a workaholic, but the kids help pull me back from that, um, which is great. So things just kind of kept growing though. Like we have, we had really good, uh, what is the statistic? Like overall since 2012, we've had a 48% growth year after year on average. Wow. So things just kept or kind of growing almost despite myself for not really being aggressive in sales. And Cause that's so not that, your like love. No, really. Like, you don't like, I remember when I was helping out at provisions, whenever there was like a big show coming up, you'd be like, how do I not be involved in this? <laughs> Which I always thought was really interesting because I always, you know, in my entrepreneurial 
efforts. I've always thought that was kind of a weakness of my own. So the fact that you were very much like that, I kind of found that slightly inspiring. I'm like, okay, you don't have to be a type A, like hustle sales person to have your own thing. And I, I admired that about you. Again, my business probably would be way more successful if I did have that, but I would have, be deficient in other areas. So there's no point in worrying about it. So things just kept growing and I guess it was the fall of 2017. Sometimes I'm not good with years, but that we hit a production capacity issue at the church. My staff were burning out. There was just so much work. Everything was so physically demanding. Because you're still working in what was essentially a large home kitchen at that point, right? So you kind couldn't... of like they there was a professional dishwasher there. There was like a 16 burner range. Like it was pretty good, but we're cooking jam in little batches. So we could do an extraordinary amount. We got really good at doing it, but there's a lot of room for error. You know, like you're weighing out literally 20 batches of red pepper jelly, but you had to do 20 separate everythings and then, and then keep that train going. So they didn't all cook at the exact same time. Cause then you had to pour them and lid them. Like it was a, engineering marvel to be honest but it was really physically demanding so i i made i decided we couldn't do another fall season so the third and fourth quarter really where we make all our money um or where all our business is for the most part so i i knew we couldn't do another season another fall season at the church so i spent that winter building this business plan. Um, it's like this, one of the really thick binders. And I just, I just, everything, everything I could think of, you know, uh, tapped into as many free resources as I could, like reached out to Omafra and had food safety experts help me design if I was going to buy an empty warehouse space and retrofit it for my specific needs for production what that would look like, got their insight, how do we do like food safety, keeping the flow of product in and out of the building, like all of that kind of stuff, connected with the commercial realtor, um, tapped into as many government grants as I could, or I shouldn't say that any of them actually worked, but researched all of that. Um, and so then it was like, okay, Big takeaway, there's no way I have enough money to do it, to build my own space. And so then that spring, I got a call from two different people. They're like, you've got to go see this space out in Beamsville. And it was where Niagara Presents used to be. And it started out, this is, this is what I think. It, it started out as a social enterprise, so they got a lot of government funding. It's a beautiful space. The kitchen's totally set. Um, and they had two big steam kettles. They had a dish pit. Just the floor. Everything was built to code. Like, from a food safety perspective, it was exactly perfect. Um, and so that they decided to retire for whatever reason. And, and so because I had done all that research, I knew the cost of things. I knew 
what I could have, could have anticipated the square footage co- like rent to be for like an empty building, like on Bunting Road or something. And so then I went and saw it and it had a loading dock. That was another huge, huge perk. And I was able to jump on it because I had already done my homework, but it was, it was still jumping off a cliff basically because everything that I had been researching was very theoretical and all of a sudden it's very practical. So I knew that I was getting a good deal and that like, wow, the opportunity here is huge. Um, but I didn't have a really strong plan for like growing those sales, which isn't my strong suit, but, um, I knew I had to take it. I like, it was either that, or I would just shutter the business and I don't know what, go do something else, I guess. But I, 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 I believed in my company. I believed we had opportunity for growth. And so, so yeah, I took over the lease there. And it's been really hard. (laughs) (laughs) So, Because you had to go from doing everything. You started basically at your home kitchen, right? And then slowly just expanded on that process. Yeah. Like, I mean, researching or, you know, recipe development for the cookbook was just at my house. But I knew from the very, very beginning that, you're not allowed to run a business out of your home kitchen. 100%. I just meant more like the actual process of making what you make to go from like the first period of growth from doing it in your home and then building the business in that larger church kitchen to then taking over the space you're in now. It was, I can only imagine like starting from scratch in terms of your process. Right. So scaling up has been uh, intense. It's been intense. So, so yeah, like all the formulas had to be reworked. Um, just all our processes. Um, I'm a big fan of the concept of continuous improvement. And so thinking like, okay, let's think about what's the best way to do this. And then let's refine it and refine it and refine it. And, uh, but it's, it's overwhelming. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so I'm, I was still kind of juggling most of it. Um, I had some help with sales and, um, you know, I had a production manager and it, you know, uh, it was another interesting thing about scaling up is that like people took kind of took it as an opportunity to move on at like the timing worked. And then people like eventually I had a whole new crew just it just there was just an evolution that probably in a way was necessary a little bit um because it was such a different way of doing things so we had a new crew and when i thought about like the crew that i had for years the thought of them not being with me like i you know was was so overwhelming but then you you know you figure it out like it's it's definitely an evolution uh and so so yeah so we're in the new space and we're setting things up and setting systems up and I mean I had to do a big leasehold improvement so a lot of money went into that 
kind of trying to design the space that would be, um, you know, it's all coming down to food safety. So things have to be done in a certain way with certain paint and certain, you know, shatterproof glass. And like, it's really specific. So I was always, I wanted to set myself up for that, that trajectory from early on, even though that did seem like a very lofty goal still. So then this past year, um, I got an invitation to pitch to Sobeys. Tons of people would have had that same invitation. And I almost turned it down because we didn't have a CFIA license. At the so time. when was this? This was just this past fall. Oh, okay. Um, I almost declined because I thought we're not, we can't, we're not eligible because we don't have a CFIA license and um, we didn't have a HACCP certification, which is kind of like a, the benchmark for food safety globally. So, but then at the last minute, it's like, it was a yes or no question actually on that form. Like it wasn't like if you don't have a CFA license, bugger off. It They just wanted to know. So it's like, okay. So anyway, I went and pitched to them and it was great. It was great. Uh, they were really excited. And, but they said, you need a HACCP certificate to sell into grocery. And it's like, I kind of already knew that, but it was the impetus we needed I'd already been help building it with my team. I have uh, like a few food technology students from Niagara College that work for me. And uh, I mean, they, they're trained to build a HACCP food safety part. Like it's awesome. So I had them chipping away at it, but before I didn't have any reason to really push on the gas, it seemed an intangible still. But then the Sobeys meeting, it was like, this is real. So we pushed hard. We we had the audit right before Christmas this year, like the last Friday before Christmas. The auditor came. It was like eight hours. My God, it was intense. And we we passed. It was incredible. It was incredible. Well, how long was that process? Did you know then that you passed? Or was it like, we'll get back? Yeah, like halfway through the day, I said, are there any nonconformities? Because, you know, they're grading us on all kinds of stuff. He said, oh, tons. <laughs> <laughs> and and I said, does like, are we gonna pass? And he's, like, <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, you're gonna pass. Like it was just little things that I needed yeah. to like kind of cross T's and dot I's kind of stuff. Nothing major. And so that felt really good. That was a real milestone for the company. And then we were able to start the process of getting listed in Sobeys. So they connected me to a grocery distributor because I could try to sell direct to 80 stores, 80 Sobe stores in Ontario. I I don't think that's a good idea. Um, these grocery distributors all have relationships with the store buyers already. So they take a big margin, but to me, it's worth it. It's the way to go. And they're going to be buying pallets of product at a time and then they'll distribute it rather than me drop shipping to every store and from a fulfillment standpoint, it's like kind of a no-brainer. I, I, yeah, totally. So, so I interviewed a couple of different grocery distributors, and um, 
chose to work with one, Custom Foods, really just felt like it was, I liked them, like it was a good fit. And so back and forth and back and forth and this and that and the other. And um, then the COVID-19, like we, I swear we were like a week, two weeks away from being listed. And then the COVID-19 virus kicked in and it just ground that whole part of my strategic plan for 2020 to a halt. So it's not completely dead, but who knows really when those store buyers are going to have the bandwidth to be able to consider bringing in new products. Oh, this is a nice jam. No. Right. So we're just kind of, we're, we're just kind of waiting. Like we should have, we like, ultimately we were supposed to have a big launch for Easter. We would have been in all 80 Sobeys for Easter. It was, it was just going to be magic, right? <laughs> it was just like, it was just the thing we needed to grow so, that revenue. So was that going to be with the provisions line or? Okay. So that's interesting. So swing back to the fall when we first, uh, when we first had that meeting with Sobeys, I left there super elated, so excited. But then I thought, uh-oh. I don't want, I can't risk my core business who are mainly independent retailers that value exclusivity above almost anything else to all of a sudden be able to see provisions on the grocery store shelf. So that's when in comes my cousin for like a third chapter of this story. And we branded Fox and Forage together this fall as an alternative brand to provisions for grocery. Cool. So that was the impetus for Fox and Forge to, to exist. Because I remember when I was there last spring, you were experimenting with some um, like non-varietal uh, alcohol-free options. You were like experimenting with marmalades and doing some things that were um, a little bit off-brand and I I wasn't sure if it was something that had started from that or you know what well it gave us a head start because we had already developed some of those products um for another channel that ended up not working out but so it's like these formulas are written like it just felt so I mean I could spend an hour talking about the path of like how the decisions were made with Fox and Forage and the product line and brand identity, but we, I'll just skip over most of that and say, ultimately, after I learned about grocery and I learned about distribution, like more about grocery distribution and just about um, brand marketing, I actually decided to sell both brands into grocery. So we, the plan was like all eight of our condiments were going to be listed, provisions condiments were going to be listed at Sobeys or through our grocery distributor. So Metro, Loblaws, you know, anybody really, anybody, hopefully everybody will buy it and launch Fox and Forage, the four pure jams in the 250 mil jars 
um, it just made more strategic sense in the end. And again, I could talk you through that whole thought process, but that's where I landed. And it, it feels like the right, it still feels like the right decision. Um, so that's, so, so what ends up happening is we have two brands that are kind of the like different sides of the same coin. What both of these brands represent, I want for my own life kind of thing, right? Like I want a happy, healthy family. I want a family that we go on picnics together. We run a 5k race together. We're active. We pick up garbage on earth day, you know, that type of thing. And I also want to be the person who entertains and is very discerning with what I'm serving my guests and, uh, you know, wants, wants to share and connect with people. Alcohol is a part of that brand for sure. It started that way and that's, you know, that's what it is. So, you know, happy hour, having a, having a laugh, like, you know, spending time with friends and family. Mm -hmm. Um, So representing the, that balanced, um, part of yourself and your brand eventually won out over the concern over exclusivity. Yeah. Like if I chose to, it was, it's just easier from a marketing point of view to have Fox and Forage be breakfast and provisions be cocktail hour. Right. Uh, as far as like the markets that we're selling into, I guess it's a risk that I had to take that some of our current uh, retailers would be like, oh, you can get this at Sobeys? Well, that's not special anymore. But to be honest, the volume that I needed to achieve to have a successful business depends on getting as many jars sold as I can. And grocery is a, is a natural evolution of a food business. The caliber of products that Sobeys is listing and, you know, maybe a little bit less so Metro, but Loblaws too, like they're, they're, they're selling like fresh juices that for $12, like, yeah, I've always felt like Sobeys is like, if you want to put together an amazing like cheese platter, you'd probably go to Sobeys, right? Like they have more of that sort of selection for entertaining and like putting something kind of special together. Yeah. Yeah. At least in, um, at the beginning, like now it's become more of a commoditized thing and all grocery stores have kind of stepped that game up. But Sobeys, I feel like was the first to really go there and have like special local things. Yeah. And you know what? They invest a ton into their local program. Um, you know, they've got hundreds of local vendors that, uh, that are part of what they offer and local purchases have gone up. God, what was it? Like 67% from 2018 to 2019 in Sobeys. Like it's huge. Like they're, they're supporting local in a way that no one else is yet. And I think the others are going to follow suit. So it's a like marketing a brand is really important. It takes a lot of time and money. I'm, that was another consideration. It's like provisions as, as small as provisions actually still is in the world, there's some brand recognition. So I needed, I needed it 
Right. I, I, I needed that brand recognition to support the success that we hope to achieve in grocery. Yeah. And for Fox and Forage, the, having it as a breakfast brand, the daytime brand, and starting with a line of pure jams, yes, that's a very competitive category. But it's also kind of stagnant a little bit. So we are hoping to um, offer the best tasting jam that's Canadian made, uh, you know, on the market, frankly. So um, do you remember we the, the jam queen that helped us? The jam queen? Yeah, the jam queen helped us create these formulas where we're able to create like the spreadsheet that generates a theoretical bricks and the yield and the specific gravity and the this and the that like to a level that uh, most people would never ever be able to do like it's incredible what she, that what gifts she gave to me so we were able to uh th- with her support we're able to create the first uh, not the first but uh a true fir- fruit first jam most people's jams the sugar is always the first ingredient but i'm not i don't want to give away all our secrets we're able to achieve it in a different way and so the the rules on the labels are changing so right now like ball maman jam says strawberries cane sugar yellow sugar pectin, citric acid, whatever. So all, it's all sugar and they've just separated it out. They're, to make it they're, they're, they're intentionally using two types of sugar to be able to split it on the ingredient deck. They're not allowed to do that. Just so that they can say strawberry first. Exactly. So it's very misleading to the consumer. They're not allowed to do that as of July, I think. So it's giving us an upper hand in the market to be able to say we're legit fruit first. Um, and it's just a very clean jam. That's another way. It's kind of a science geek or a food geek's way of just kind of describing it. It's they're really good. They're really good. If you had to rank your skills in order of importance, integral to growing provisions, and you had um, just financial savvy, uh, determination, and MacGyver qualities which one would you say has been has served you the best uh determination cash flow has always been our number one issue it's just it's i think most businesses would say that but and so you know god it's a thorn in my side but at the same time it has forced me to try to figure out how to do something that i can't just throw money at that I have to be creative in what we're doing and come up with a better and des- better design, engineer a new process. It has served me well. It has served me well on that standing. Um, but you know, there's been there's been so many highs and lows. I'm I'm sure you witnessed a few. Uh, you know, when you were with us, it. Uh, Perseverance, I would probably rank as the number one quality to to the success of the business so far. 
um, it's easy to give up, right? But if you can get over that hurdle that's right in front of you, you you get to keep going. Have you found it's been 12 years now? Eight. No, eight. eight. So have you, 2012, sorry. Have you, at any point, have you felt like that giving up thing dropping off? Like, obviously, that's not your nature. You wouldn't have done that anyways. But there must have been a lot more moments in the beginning where you're like, should I actually just not do this anymore? Um, like, at what point does that just stop being an option? Well, it certainly stopped being an option when I was uh, became a single person again and needed it to pay my mortgage. Uh, you know, those types of pressures just kind of stayed and kept, you know, kept building. Like it's mm-hmm. scaling up has been so much more challenging than I thought it was. I don't know what I would have done if I, if I knew now what I, no, <laughs> if I knew before I signed the lease on this new facility, what I know now, man, that would have been a lot harder decision to make. It's I I've been told over the years, you know, someone that has the skill set to grow a company from nothing to let's say half a million dollars. And then the person, the skill set required to grow it from half a million dollars in revenue a year to two million or five million, those are different skill sets smaller pool of people. So I kind of living in the trying to get into that next bracket. And it's been it's been tricky and I'm I'm using all my wits about me for sure and I do have experience behind me that's helping me make decisions. Um but sometimes I do, you know, it is a little, it is a little challenging just mentally to be like, do I have what it takes to take this company to where I really, really want it to be? And that's like, that's going to achieve the kind of profitability that I really want for my myself and my family and my staff. And like, what is the hardest part about? scaling is it feeling like you have to start over again is it trusting people to to delegate things that you're used to you're used to doing everything right like what's the what's the hardest part about going from from a plateau where you're really comfortable and confident in what you're doing to getting to that next level what's what's been your hardest like what's been your pain point most of all Um, i know there's a million things probably just like trying to stay really organized and focus on the priorities. It's so easy to let a day and a week and a month go by just putting out fires and getting, getting distracted and getting pulled to this thing or that thing and not staying really, really focused on our objectives and our goals. I mean, theoretically, I can tell you exactly what I need to do to fix that. It's harder to implement, right? So 
But I would say what this COVID-19 crisis is doing, if it turns out, like, I'm not sure, like, I'm actually pretty hopeful that we're going to be able to weather the storm and provisions will survive beyond this. I wasn't so sure even two weeks ago that that was going to be the case. It was so uncertain. Um, but it's an opportunity for so many people to reflect on what they're doing. Like, I'll just speak for myself. It, you know, if I get a chance to keep going, I this is a really good time to evaluate what's been working, what maybe hasn't been working so well. How can we focus better on our goals? What can we do to achieve the revenue that we need to achieve to be able to make being in that facility sustainable long term? Um, like it's it's a really interesting opportunity that I think I, I hope I have the opportunity to to implement the things that I am able to kind of reflect on and um, make my company stronger and healthier. It's, it almost feels like I get to reset a little bit. I've talked to kind of a lot of entrepreneurs over the last little while, and that sentiment has come up in every single conversation. An opportunity to start from scratch. And I think there's been a couple of people who haven't said that, but I think that's kind of the difference between who will weather the storm and who won't, is if you're looking at it with how can I learn from this or what, what can I gain from this situation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it could be a, an opportunity, the opportunity I needed because it was like this snowball that just, it, I, it couldn't, it wasn't stop it. Like how do you take a breath when things are in play? This is giving everybody a time to just hit pause for a second and yeah, I think the ones that will survive are the ones that are using this as an opportunity. I was Googling you, as, oh. one, as one does before okay. these things. Yep. Um, and in an interview in 2015, you said that Grapes of Wrath, A Fine Balance, and To Kill a Mockingbird were your favorite books because of the shared theme of people overcoming great adversity while staying true to themselves. Wow, that's deep. It's very deep. <laughs> so it made me think, which character out of one of those books have you been channeling the most during these crazy times? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Those Did you ever read those books? Be real. Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> like, it's like, yep, those still are, those still are right up there. Um, okay. Like this, this is probably distasteful, but there's two, the two main characters in a fine balance. Have you read a fine balance? Will you? I'll get the clips though. Okay. You know what? Whatever. Uh, spoiler alert. But the two main characters in a fine balance go th there. It's based in India. These two young men, my God, do they go through a lot? And one of them actually gets like castrated because I don't even remember why, but it was awful. And then the other one doesn't and they part ways. So they're together during a very crucial, very tumultuous time in their life. 
but then they they go their separate ways. The one that got castrated had an amazing attitude. Like when they they kind of come back at the end of the book, they come together, and it's so it was jarring. It or it, it was just so profound how that character saw the joy in life, had a positive attitude, you know, was just positive. And the other one that hadn't, like, there's no comparison. You're either castrated or you're not. The other one just felt sorry for himself, took no responsibility for his own life, negative, you know, mad at the world. That that, that was very impactful to me in that book. It was a really good lesson um, to about attitude. That's interesting. The perspective leading to gratitude, kind of. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. Everybody's got a story. And yeah, like being able to put it in perspective and keep going and know that um, good will come again, even even if it feels really dark. I think it's pretty important for an entrepreneur to have a bit of that. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It was great to catch up with you. You too. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please hit subscribe. Uh, Subscribing and commenting in iTunes in particular, even if that's not the platform you use, uh, it really helps the podcast get seen by other people. uh, So that would be much appreciated. Um, If you're an entrepreneur who wants to share your story, we're always on the lookout for guests. Obviously, people with a food background, a little bit of a foot in the hospitality world is preferable, but um, definitely shoot us a DM on Instagram or hit us up on Twitter. Uh, And if you have a friend or anyone you know in the food world, please share this podcast with them and hopefully we can be a resource and a little bit of a positive note uh, in these uncertain times. So thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.